0: Friends of Jesus need to wear the armor of God. If you are a friend of Jesus, you need to wear the armor of God. We get to this place in our sermon series, the last week of six weeks. Paul brings us to the end of this letter, and he brings us to a final vital topic and he begins, as we might begin the end of a sermon series, with the word, finally. All right, we've talked about lots of things so far, but finally, he turns our attention and redirects us very specifically to something he, hasn't, he has hardly mentioned up till now. And yet here at the end, where it can receive its appropriate emphasis for your life and for mine, he says this, finally, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power. I would call this what Paul is about to lead us into. The sanctification of character. We're talking about something that is behind our behaviors. Something about our personhood if you will. Something of which we admire in others and uh, rightfully um, should desire for ourselves when we acknowledge that he or she, that that is a man of character, this is a woman of character, we're giving one of the highest compliments we can give to an individual. And Paul gives no less emphasis to this, but he puts it, if you will, he spiritualizes it and puts it within the context of our, the whole of our lives and the reason and the necessity the reason and the necessity for the development of our character in a wholesome and full fashion. What's the problem, in other words, we might ask? And Paul is saying this, you are up against far more than you can handle on your own. You are up against far more than you can handle on your own. The backdrop, in other words, is pretty bleak. We've been doing a teaching, a study in a small group on Tuesdays about the fall, about Genesis and the rebellion and man's rebellion. And um, within that context, we're just talking about how bad it really is and just pulling up a thing, a, a passage here and a passage there this past week. How about this one? But sometimes this can describe our life too. I remember my affliction. And my wandering, the bitterness and the gall, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Life is tough, in other words, or in another place in the Old Testament. I heard, and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. What did one hear? Why did one's lips quiver in fear and perhaps with tears coming down the face? Loss of a job? Loss of a marriage? Loss of a child to drugs or abuse or even to death? Loss of something good and vital and important to us? When I heard my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. But the one who said that first verse, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall, says this right after that. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And the one who spoke of his lip quivering and his heart pounding at the experience of loss or devastation or despair says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Back to the mountaintop in other words. Those are thoughts and reflections from Lamentations. The book of Lamentations and the prophet Habakkuk. But at some time or another if not right now. You have had, as I have had, similar thoughts because of the circumstances of our lives. And Paul says here at the end, finally, because of what life holds out for you, because life is not easy, it can be very difficult. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Power for your life is actually where this letter begins and ends. Let me remind you back to the 18th verse of the first chapter. Paul is praying for the disciples. And he says, I pray that the, heart, the eyes of your heart, these mysterious spiritual, the sixth sense, if you will, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And he says, among other things, that you may know his incomparably great power. For us who believe, sometimes we need something far better and far stronger than willpower. And sometimes we need something far better and far stronger than just money will solve all these problems, if we have it or if we don't have it. Somehow money is the key. All these other keys we give. Paul's got it. And he brackets this letter to the church in Ephesus and the church in, the Sun- in Somerville by saying, disciples, You have something available to you. Seize it and take hold of it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And he says, put on the full armor of God because it's not your imagination. There is one that hates you as much as God loves you. There is one who hates you as much as God loves you. We know how much God loves us. He so loved the world, he sent his son. Jesus stretched out his arms on the hard wood of the cross to bring everyone into the reach of his saving embrace. There is one who opposes God's creative and his redemptive work. He wants to see you fail. He wants to see you miserable. He wants to see you suffer. And he wants to see you rot in hell. His name is Satan. And so Paul's pulling no punches here at the end, end of this letter. Yes, we have our own things we need to work on. We cause our own problems sometimes. But we are aided and abetted by a spiritual being who wants to see you and me fail. So in summary, Paul said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sometimes these movies will capture an image of this in a bit of um, uh, realism, and we watched a movie. I, now I can't remember the name of it, but Matthew McConaughey is in it, and you may be able to tell me the name of it. Something Lincoln. It's about his Lincoln Continental. He's a lawyer, and his office is out of his Lincoln Continental. What is it? Lincoln lawyer should have known. That's easy. All right. And so he, he, he had received from his father a wisdom that he tried to live by. And he said his greatest fear in life, this is Matthew Connehy acting in this role as really a cynical non-believer. There's no God in this. He's just out to take care of himself. And he's on the shady side of the legal business. And uh, he, he did say his father told him, you know, just the... And he says his worst fear is that somebody who is innocent would be found guilty and that he would be responsible for that somehow. And um, he actually spends most of his time just getting uh, guilty people, uh, either a lighter sentence or no sentence. But um, as the movie unfolds, Matthew Conaghy, in this lawyer character, comes face-to-face through the behaviors and actions of a man. He comes face-to-face with evil itself. And he says in that movie at one point, he says, I have now... A new greatest fear. I'm paraphrasing it. But he said, evil. He hasn't found a savior, but he has seen evil active through the actions and behavior of a man. It happens. It's there. It's real. And he wants to capture your heart as well. So what can we do? Well, just keep in mind then, we are in a serious spiritual battle and a conflict And it's not only dealing with our own bad habits and our own needs to change things in our own lives. There's this bigger deal going on that Paul wants us to be aware of. And so he says, this is the way you confront that. And what you will find, interestingly enough, in this passage, there is no mention of love. With all these virtues and, and descriptions of what Christian character looks like, he does not bring love into this equation in any explicit way. Because it's the one place where you cannot apply love successfully is confronting the evil one. You're not called to love him. You're called to avoid him, to rebuke him, to deny him, to have him out of your life because there's no love there that can be received. But everything else is here or much else is here. And I want to look at these very briefly, but one at a time. Sometimes this image of the armor actually gets in the way a bit. It's such a powerful image, and so we, we think of the armor of God and the the, the, belt of righteous, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. But I'd like to just strip away all those images. But the, the, the powerful image here is to see it overall is you need protection and you need to equip yourself, and the way you do it is by the development of your Christian character. And so he describes it like this, is that uh, you are to embrace truth as a vital priority for your life. In other words, living with right motives. You are to tell the truth. You are to seek the truth. You are to believe in the truth with a capital T. However you want to sum it up, Jesus is Lord is one way to believe in truth with a capital T. What Paul's talking about is the man or woman, the disciple of sincerity. There's no pretense but purity. There's no lying to God. There's no lying to yourself which is called denial, by the way, when we live in denial. And there's no lying to others. Christian character necessarily involves being a truth lover. Righteousness is not so much about moral behavior. It's not about whether you're good or bad. It is seeking a right relationship with God, to be in alignment, to be a plumb line in your life, where your life is uh, in accord with God's plan and purposes for your life. And when you are in right relationship with God, you will find that you will be in right relationship with yourself, and you will be in right relationship with others. Plato, as he was seeking to defend himself from all kinds of spurious accusations in his own life, uh, taught this. He said, Let us live against the accusations by showing how good we can be. And I believe we can take that wisdom, that Socratic wisdom of Plato's life and say how we live our lives. Let us live against the accusations that are always and often and seem regularly to be being put on Christians by showing how good a Christian can be third one is gospel called the gospel of peace because it brings peace into the lives of others and simply to invite you and exhort you and encourage you by asking you a question. Are you a gospeler in your life, in your words and in your actions? Do you share the good news of God's love on Monday morning, on Tuesday afternoon, at the, at the football party, at work? Are you a gospeler? Is there a welling up eagerness to spread the gospel of peace? An invitation to knowing that peace which passes all understanding. Thomas Akempis said this about the gospel of peace, speaking of peace for our lives. He said, You must first have peace in your own soul before you can make peace between other people. Peaceable people accomplish more good. Peaceable people accomplish more good than learned people. Those who are passionate often can turn good into evil and readily believe the worst, but those who are honest and peaceful turn all things to good and are suspicious of no one. Faith, trusting. Developing this Christian character Giving, receiving all these tools, if you will, uh, all them put together, making us protected against the attacks of the evil one, in faith, trusting. Paul, uh, the letter to the Hebrews, the 11th chapter, faith, what is it? It's being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Faith is trusting that there is a loving God, in spite of all evidence to the contrary, knowing that there is a loving God believing, knowing that in the end God wins for your life, for our lives, for the world's life, in spite of all evidence to the contrary. And the Word of God. Boy, well, if you brought your Bible, let's just look at a couple of places just to celebrate the Word of God because uh, Paul describes this as your offensive weapon. Jesus certainly used it in that temptation story With Satan, he quoted Scripture three times to get Satan off his back. But let's just pause for a moment and revel in God's Word. If you have your Bible on a smartphone or iPad or brought your Bible, turn to uh, the Psalms. Look at Psalm 105. I'm sorry, uh, Psalm 119. The longest psalm in in the, uh, the Bible by far. The longest psalm in the Psalter by far. And its celebration... ...of God's Word. We won't read the 176 verses that are here today... ...but maybe you want to do that sometime. But let's read one segment of this... uh, ...the ninth verse of the 119th song. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young woman keep her way pure? By living according to your Word... I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. Another word for the law, the teaching, the instruction, the word. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. In other words, this is an individual who has practiced and memorized and learned scriptures as uh, to put into his uh, life, So knows it so well, he can recite them from his lips. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Another word for the, God's word, statutes. I meditate on your precepts. Here's a poet working, choosing all kinds of words simply to describe the same thing, God's word. I meditate on all your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Of course, that same psalm um, has that great verse, the 105th verse, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light on my path. Or look at 2 Timothy, the third chapter, the 16th verse. One of my favorites. And one of my favorites when translated by a wise old Englishman, J.B. Phillips. Interesting, there's John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And here's 2 Timothy 3.16. And here's another power-packed truth to know. All Scripture, Paul writes to Timothy and to us, is inspired by God and is useful for teaching the faith and correcting error for resetting the direction of a man's life and training him in good living. The scriptures are the comprehensive equipment of every disciple, if you will, fitting them fully for all branches of their work, their family branch, their work branch, their social branch, all branches of their work. And finally, Paul says of this protective character development that will protect us from all assaults of the enemy in a very dangerous and vulnerable place called living life in the world. He says, pray. He says, pray in the Spirit. Nobody really knows what he means by that. I suspect it has something to do with speaking in tongues related to that. It certainly means praying from the very center of your life and being, It means a kind of prayer that has an authenticity and a richness about it because it is so literally heartfelt, heart-centered, real, genuine prayer. Pray in the Spirit. He says, keep on praying. This is prayer that is to be constant. Prayer that is to be intense. Prayer that is to be persistent. Prayer to change the circumstances. It's okay to pray for that. Prayers for God to change his mind about something that seems to have a course that's set. Or prayers to change you, that you're asking for the wrong thing and the prayer in itself will redirect your focus in the right way. So what Paul is saying to us, in summary, is that the development of your character has a vital motivation other than simply seeking to be a good person. that the development of your character is actually a way of putting an armor of protection between you and Satan. So it has at least a dual benefit because to be a person of good character is an honorable way to live, but it also is a protected way to live. Truth, righteousness, The gospel, faith, the word of God, prayer. And notice that the chief instruments of warfare that Paul identifies, we will use this for a moment, which is the sword and the shield is the word of God and faith. So the sanctification of character Paul says it's a big deal, something else to give attention to. And it is the purifying and refining of our lives. I love that old hymn. I bet you know it, Bet we all know it. I suspect we all know it, maybe not. It's kind of like the Lord's Prayer. Everybody knows this, or almost everybody. Onward, Christian Soldiers. There was a movement about 30 years ago to take that hymnal out of our hymnal and a movement to take it out of the Methodist hymnal as well. It was taken out of the Presbyterian hymnal, too militaristic. I believe grossly misunderstood in terms of what this hymn is about um, because this this is acknowledging Paul's, Paul's trying to tell us there's spiritual warfare and you better be equipped for a battle. And this hymn so succinctly speaks to that. You know it, don't you? Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. We're not going against whomever here on earth. We're going particularly against he who exists in the spiritual realm. Winston Churchill, the story is told, when he met Franklin Roosevelt on one of the ships of the British Navy in 1941 to forge the Atlantic Charter, which was a preparatory document and an an anticipatory, anticipatory document of after the war, how we would Uh, how we would uh, look at each other as nation to nation, not only the English and the British, but all countries who were impacted by this war. And it was a noble document. It was a document, for example, that no country would be taken into another country unless they wanted to be absorbed by that country, and so on and so forth. And um, back in those days, good things like this happened in the political realm. They had a church service on that naval ship, on that British ship. And Churchill chose the hymns for that service And he chose, surprise, surprise, Onward Christian Soldiers. And he said this in a radio broadcast afterwards. He said, we sang Onward Christian Soldiers indeed, and I felt that this was no vain presumption, but that we had the right to feel that we were serving a cause for the sake of which a trumpet has sounded from on high. And he said, when I looked upon that densely packed congregation of fighting men, American soldiers, British soldiers gathered on that ship in a protective posture. When I looked upon them and saw these people of the same language, the English and the British, of the same faith, of the same fundamental laws, of the same ideals, it swept across me that there was the, here was the only hope, but also the sure hope of saving the world from measureless de- degradation Saving the world, men and women of character fighting against the evil personified through Nazism and Adolf Hitler. Wow. Another vital topic for our lives. And Paul says, here are some tools you have for protection. In order for what? So that you can stand. So that you can stand firm. In order that you can stand against all assaults of the enemy. Well, there we have it. A sermon series on this letter to the church in Ephesus and the church in Somerville, celebrating initially what Christ accomplished and celebrating and wishing for all what we ourselves have had, the blessed people called to be a blessing to others, blessed because we have had Or may you have, or may you be on the brink of having the aha moment. Scales falling from the eye and saying, I see Jesus. I see him. He's my savior now. He's rescued me from the kingdom of darkness. Wow. I've had the aha moment. It took me years to get there, or maybe it happened in a flash. And what happens after that? Remember, friends of Jesus with one another, that we are called into a life of participation through worship in small groups and quiet time. And friends of Jesus as friends to one another. Behavior, a community that is so attractive that those on the outside want to be on the inside and we are called to invite them in. A community of love and humility. We spoke of some practical things like avoiding triangulation and avoiding gossip. And then we spoke last week of, of friends of Jesus as friends to others. But we didn't get very far. Because we didn't have, that was actually out into the world, but we spoke, focused instead on husbands and wives. Husbands, not domination. Husbands, not possession. Husbands, you are not somehow above the wife. Ephesians 5.21 Submit to one another, mutual submission, out of reverence to Christ. And this morning, the friends of Jesus, wearing the armor of God, the intentional development of our character in the service of Christ and to use to withstand the attacks of the enemy and to empower us when the day comes to take a stand and to stand firm. Let's end this way. I've got onward Christian soldiers right here. Let's stand for a moment, soldiers. Let me read the words of a verse, and we'll sing together the refrain. Because I bet 98% of us know the refrain, and we'll all know it by the time we're finished. Onward, Christian soldiers marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banners go. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee. On then Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Christians Lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Crowns and thrones may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus constant will remain. Gates of hell can never against that church prevail. We have Christ's own promise, and that cannot fail. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Onward, then, ye people, join our happy throng Blend with ours your voices in the triumph song. Glory, laud, and honor unto Christ the King. This through countless ages we with angels sing. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus, Going on before. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus above you, beneath you, behind you, in front of you, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> brothers and-